Welcome to the Self Builders Podcast, the podcast that covers everything you need to know to get on the way to building your own house. We're brought to you by Mayflower Mortgage and Finance, the self-building finance specialist in the UK. Each episode, we'll be speaking to self-builders and learning from their challenges so that you can build your own home without making the same mistakes by listening to that conversation. So if you're serious about wanting to build your home and want to hear about the challenges that other self-builders have had who have been there, done that and got the t-shirt, then you're in the right place. Let's get into it. This is the Self-Builders Podcast. And welcome to the Self Builders podcast hosted by Mayflower Mortgage and Finance. I'm your host, Sam Taylor. Um, and this week, uh, we are joined by um, one of the team, Glenn. How are you doing, Glenn? Yeah, very well, thanks. Thanks Good for stuff. having me. No, not at all. Not at all. So um, we're going we're gonna to spend this podcast getting to know you a little bit, uh, but also getting to know some of the challenges, some of the questions, some of the journey that that your clients go on um, when looking to finance either a self-build or a barn conversion or an extension or whatever the case may be. Um, but first of all, Glenn, look, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself, mate. Where, yeah, who are you? <laughs> Good question. Um, so, well, personally... Married with a kid, one year old, so I'm I'm tired all the time, but um, loving life and a couple of dogs at home. Um, Work-wise, uh, I've been a development manager in a previous life, um, business development man- manager for a life insurance company. Um, studied for my mortgage qualifications whilst I was working with them, and then took the leap from business development to advising clients directly. Um, gained loads of experience were just on my own two feet um generating my own clients doing my own thing but mike and mayflower um approached me with a fantastic proposition um i had a look into to the stuff that they were doing and being specialists in the self-build space i could see a real opportunity to help people in in ways that most brokers can't um and i haven't even looked back since then Every single day is different from the last, so it's been it's been a brilliant journey to get there. And how long have you been with Mayflower now, Glenn? Uh, coming up to two years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's nice. Been a learning curve with all the um, self build, but it's been it's been a brilliant two years working with Mike and the team. And how have you found? Was there, um, obviously two years that that was around pandemic time, right? So did you join during the pandemic or after or before? It was just just after, so the year before was when I got married, um, and that was right at the very end of the restrictions during the summer, um, and it was it was just after all of that. Um, so, what? yeah, all, all of the restrictions were gone by the time I joined Mayflower. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I, I guess the reason why I asked that is just uh, obviously because of the time that you've been there. But what what was the what happened after the pandemic in this space? Was there was there all of a sudden a flood um, of applications or interest or inquiries or what was the you know did within the industry how, what what did that look like after the pandemic? It, really good question. I think it was a bit chaotic during the pandemic as well for for 
periods because of the um, reduction in stamp duty rates um, for, for main purchases, main residential purchases. The self-build space, because I joined after the pandemic had really stopped, I don't, I don't personally have that comparison to draw on. But over the last, the first 12 months working with Mayflower, there were clients that I was speaking to who had projects that were delayed. Um, we were just hitting higher inflation because everyone was returning back to work and returning sure. back to life. So it was, people were spending more money driving up prices. So people were starting to run out of money for their projects. So we were dealing with a different challenge where we had delayed projects and increased project funding, which meant yeah. we had to step in and really help support people through that. It's quite a nice um it's quite a nice add on. I imagine that one of the biggest challenges that people face and uh, and just as a just as kind of like complete transparency i've not actually been through the process of self-building perhaps one day perhaps not who knows uh, probably more likely an extension in my case um but do you find that people will come in with a set amount a, a budget in mind or we've got x amount let's say we've got half a million to spend um do, do you find that a lot of people kind of like burn through that a lot faster than they think and then need additional uh, lending or is that something that you don't really come up against we don't normally come up against that in day to day um we have two types of clients really i think we've got the realists and then the dreamers and the dreamers yeah. are the ones where they have this fantastic project um where they want to build their dream home on a budget and then we have to i suppose work with them to make them see that certain things they might not be able to achieve within their budget yet, but it doesn't mean to say it's not something that they can't add on to a project later on once they've, they've finished the first phase. Um, then there's the realists who come in with a, a really good solid start, um, good cash flow behind them um, and a really thought out plan. Um, so it, it, client to client, I think, it, we just work with them with what they've got in their head and we want to try and help them realize that. But sometimes we do have to give them a, a sense of um, reality. Yeah, yeah. I bet that's hard. I bet that's a hard conversation because I, I assume that like the dreamers come in and those dreams are, are probably, you know, if they're at a stage of talking to a specialist mortgage company about, you know, what they can or can't do, then those dreams have probably been pretty well fleshed out. So you're almost like not the bearer of bad news, but like, the, yeah, <laughs> like the realist in the conversation. Yeah, the realist. And it's not that we don't help them get funding. It's just that they may have had to make some slight changes to it. But more often than not, we're able to to realise what, what people's budgets are. Um, most people are sensible enough to understand that they can't borrow five hundred thousand pounds on a twenty thousand pound wage so it's um it, most clients are sensible enough to to be within the realms of possibilities if that makes sense what's the what's the most kind of what's, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing at the moment or not that you're facing but your clients are facing at the moment what's that what's the thing that keeps coming up uh, the the years following the pandemic, the, the the last couple of years, I think the the sharp increase in costs, cost of living, or the rising cost of materials, has bitten hard. 
but that's all leveled off a little bit now. We're, we're finding things much more stable. Um, the demand in some areas have, has reduced, so um, we're finding that side of things getting better or at least stabilising. I think the difficulty we've recently had, as most people will be aware, is um, the, the mini budget and the increase in mortgage rates over the last 12 months, and it's really squeezed people's affordability. Um, but that being said, a lot of self-build mortgage lenders are really keen to still get lending out of the door. So we're finding we are pushing against an open door when we are trying to ask for um, ask for, for funding for people. Okay, okay, that's good. And you're finding that, that door's a little more open than it was before almost as they start to not ramp up, but they, they try and solidify people lending money, uh, borrowing money off them, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say they're in a the, the self build market is, is in a really strong place from a lending point of view, and they are they are keen to keep that keep that going. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Uh, what advice would you give newbies? I imagine that there'll be a lot of people listening to this podcast who are maybe um, about to embark on this journey. Um, as someone who's kind of been there, done it, dealt with a lot of people going through the process, what what advice would you give a newbie? That's a, that's a really challenging question because it does sometimes depend on on their current circumstances and, and where their finances are. But it's it can be a chicken and egg situation for a lot of people starting out. Now, what do I do first? Do I sort the finances out first? Do I speak to an architect first? Do I find that plot, that dream plot um, with planning permission? The answer is all of it at the same time um we find it easier to help clients when they come to us beforehand so we can really help set them a budget and we can give them a feasibility report on how much they can spend how much they can borrow um that helps set their expectations moving forward so really talking about the finances early ensures that the project you're going for will be realistic and will be something that, that can be funded right to the end. Um, there's a few few questions that pop up quite regularly. I think, how does a self-build mortgage work and how much will it cost? That's a case-by-case thing. But the key one is um, around warranties. And a lot of people don't realise that you can't get a self-build mortgage without some sort of structural warranty or a professional consultant certificate that essentially signs off the quality of the build and provides an insurance for any defaults or defects over the next 10 years. And without that, it's almost impossible to get any mortgage finance. Right. So I'd say sort the finances out first, but also... Um, make sure that you're budgeting into your project things like the structural warranties that a lot of people forget. And what kind of price is structural warranties? Just sort of like as a, as a I haven't got a clue. So what, what like what kind of realms are we talking about? Fifty thousand? We talking a hundred thousand? We talking two thousand? How much do structural warranties usually cost? The rule of thumb, and it's it, this is a finger in the air, but gives people a, a realistic guide is your 
square meter footprint yeah. for your build, add a naught on the end. So if your right. build internal floor space is 200 square meters, you could expect your structural warranty to cost you 2000 pounds. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. That's so that's that, good... the way I look at it is that's over 10 years. So that's almost two hundred pound a year for the next ten years, but you have you have to pay that up front. But that's that's a that's a good guide to start off with. Okay, good. I'm glad you went for the um, word guide and not rule of thumb. Do you know where rule of thumb comes from? You're going to tell me. I know. <laughs> is there a clicking going on? Can you hear that clicking in the background? Is that is that you? You you got a little clicking thing? Yeah. You're having a little a click, fidgeter. aren't you? I can hear yeah. that. You're a fidgeter. That's okay. The rule of thumb was, <laughs> and I'm glad that this is a thing of the past, but the rule of thumb was, back in the day, a long time ago, you could only beat your wife with a piece of wood no thicker than your thumb. If it was less than your thumb, it was legal. If it was thicker than your thumb, it was illegal. And that is the rule of thumb. That's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> Something yeah, I'm sure that our listeners, will, yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> sure our listeners will be chuffed to hear that as they, uh, well, maybe that's something they could beat their mortgage advisors with. So, <laughs> as long as it's the rule of thumb. Okay. <laughs> well, some uh, obviously, like getting into this, um, I, 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 I guess, like, if I was going to get into this, what would be the thing that you would advise I didn't overlook? What's the thing that most people overlook? Is there, is there a commonality? Is there a theme between people just, you know, thinking, oh, we don't need to worry about that or not even have it enter their minds? I think a lot of dreamers, the people that are, and I don't want to put dreamers off because they're the ones that we really we want dreams. to help. They're the ones that really yep. need the support. Yeah, exactly. And they're the ones we end up working with sometimes for two or three years before we we realise a project. So we're more than happy to work with them for that length of time just to help them through, the, especially the initial phases, to get them into a position where they can they can start their build. Um, but one of the the key questions we get is, can I can I buy a plot of land and then self fund it with with my earnings afterwards and the answer to that is it's very very difficult if not impossible to do that because by you buying land on its own and in its own right with a mortgage or some sort of lending is is very challenging there's not really a market for that okay. um and that leads into the fact that a lot of people don't factor in the the amount of deposit they might need to start the sort of project off so if they don't have say 15 to 20 percent of the land purchase price in cash or available equity as a deposit then it's going to become very difficult to to get into into the self-built project at the end so it's it's that understanding and that's where we can come in is that understanding of how you buy land how you access land and how you can get yourself in a really strong cash flow position for the project so you, you have people who come along and just like I'm just thinking out loud here. So let's say I had twenty thousand pounds sat beside, and the farmer next door was like, "I've got this bit of land. There's an acre. You can have it for twenty grand." I couldn't just go and buy that from him and then use whatever like kind of residue I had out of my wage to start 
building up and, uh, and building a plot on there. It doesn't work. You can't do that, though. Yeah, so I'm, I may not have been overly clear with that. So if if you've got the cash to buy the land outright, like that scenario, so say yeah, yeah. the farmer's happy to sell you a chunk of land from his field for £20,000 and you've got £20,000 to buy it outright, crack yeah. on, absolutely fine. Right. Okay. It's if you need to borrow money to buy land. So if, if that farmer was going to sell you that piece of land for, say, 50000 and you only had ten or 20000 it then becomes quite difficult to find lending just to buy land, especially if it doesn't have planning permission. So cash to buy the land, once you own the land outright, that actually puts you in a very good position because once you've got planning permission, we can, in theory find lending for 100% of the bill costs. Ah, okay. Okay, that's interesting. And planning permission, I, I, I imagine that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> pit of questions and answers and exploration and insight um, that maybe isn't the time for now. But planning permission would come so uh, after you buy the land or can you seek planning permission on land you've not even bought yet? In theory... I could put in a planning permission request on your house tomorrow. Oh. I don't have to own the property to put in a planning request. Ah. However, if you find a plot of land, put in a planning permission request, and it gets approved, if you haven't bought that piece of land, but it's now got planning permission for it, the value would have shot up. So what you might need to do in that situation is agree with the vendor a price subject to you getting planning permission right understood. so that vendor says i'll sell it to you for twenty thousand today i'll sell it to you for fifty thousand in a year's time subject to you getting planning permission right yeah but it still works out to be cheaper than if you just bought it after the planning permission was granted okay all right it's, um, planning is planning is a yeah it's a fun game <laughs> yeah yeah and and do you find uh, or do you find that there's some it's it's council officers is that right is that where planning permission comes from there'll be a department in the council that will grant or or disallow planning is that right yeah ev- every area will have its own local authority um local council right. authority that um has has a planning department um, and do each of them come with their own little into, into areas and, and do they come with their own different kind of quirks or, or, or nuances depending on area of the country? Like, for example, if, you know, seeking planning permission in the northeast is a lot easier than the southwest, or is it all just one, you know, the same set of rules no matter where you are geographically? It's a hard question to answer that one. Okay. I hate the, I hate this response, but it depends. okay all right it depends um there'll be there'll be their own there'll be guidelines from the government central government then there'll be the local planning um guidelines that are set up and they're reviewed every five or ten years by the local councils so they'll have their own guidelines to follow for their own build requirements in the area then there'll be green belts and brown belts um so yeah it, it can it can depend even by road, not necessarily by council. Really? 
Wow. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, my head is swimming with permissions and plots and mortgages and yeah there's a there's quite a lot of information there and um yeah thank, thank goodness that there are people you know companies out there like mayflower and, and you know uh, other advice consultation mortgage specialist mortgage companies out there too because otherwise you'd, you'd be it'd be a nightmare yeah no one would try and do it would they yeah. it's such a minefield but um yeah no it that's is. um it is that's that's cool. What advice would you give? Um, let's say you were going to give uh, one of your best mates some advice. They were going to embark on a barn conversion. You're going to give them some advice. What 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 piece of advice would you give them? I think it goes back to one of your early questions: is get the finances sorted early. Yeah. If you can get the finances sorted early, it gives you a budget. That means you're not going to plan a project that is going to be too expensive. You're not going to have to keep revisiting and spending money on architects' fees and quotes and all sorts of other bits and pieces. If you get your finance sorted early, then the rest of the project can be done in a much smoother, smoother fashion. Okay. Nice. I like it. I like it. Well, listen, uh, to anyone out there who is listening and wants to have a chat with Glenn, um, the link to book an appointment with him will be uh, in the description below this podcast. So feel free to reach out um, and have a chat with our very own Glenn. Glenn, thanks for your time today, mate. Hopefully that wasn't too painful. And um, yeah, uh, great speaking with you and I will speak to you another time. You too. Thank you very much. Take care. Cheers, buddy. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.